You are listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. Welcome to day 57 and 58 of our Read Through the Bible program. Yeah. Very excited. We are finishing another book today. I know. It goes so quick. They grow up so fast. They're so fast. We are in the last chapter, chapters, I guess, of Exodus. Yeah. And we're going to cover a little bit of Leviticus today. I know. I want to get right to Leviticus, but let's so excited. Let's wrap up uh, Exodus Yes, so, so in chapter our, 39. Our readings for today are Exodus chapter 39 through 40 and Leviticus chapter 1 through 3. So, not only has God given the plans, He's given the materials, and then we get the third telling of what goes into the tabernacle, the place where God meets with His people. Mm-hmm. And um, now it's about making, and our boy Bazalel. Yeah. Bazalel. Bazalel. He now. Oholiab. That's right. From the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Dan. Um, they're responsible for crafting all these things and mm-hmm. goes into detail of making the priestly garments. And so, um, what. We don't have to go through everything they did. It's already been listed. It's the third time. It's tempting to just over. to skip it. But remember, it, this though. is the execution of the plans, mm-hmm. the execution of the funds that were raised, and now. The execution of it is very important, and it takes gifted people, it takes planning, it takes... But for us, the idea is it's important. It's important. Um, A couple of things that I wanted to mention last time we were talking about the garments and then just didn't get around to it because there's so much. Um, And I can't remember if you mentioned this or not, but one, the the high priest garments were made in a way that they were adjustable, so it was like a one-size-fits-all deal, which was cool. Um, and then also that they had bells and pomegranate tassels on yeah. the bottom of the robes. So, like, they have, like, the fruit of life, I almost imagine. And like, music. And music right. into the presence of God. Like, yeah. I don't know. That was really cool. That kind of jumped out at me, at me again. It smells, bells, and I don't know what else rhymes with that. But anyway. I don't know. But yeah, it's but all it's important. Great. I was thinking too, maybe the tree that they ate from, maybe it was a pomegranate tree. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's fun to think about. It's very interesting. The one thing that I never get tired of reading in this tiring list of things is in verse 30 where they make the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and write on it, holy to the Lord. Yeah. I, I just love the idea of of Christ being our high priest and then uh, the priesthood of believers Mm -hmm. that we now go straight to God in the name of Christ. And uh, again, I always say this, if there's one tattoo and it changes, that's kind of the joke because the Bible is so rich with things that if I were the tattooing type, my whole body would be covered with great little sayings from the scriptures. But I would definitely get a forehead tattoo (laughs) that says, holy to the Lord. That would serve us well. So every time you look into, you have to do it backwards so that you, when you look in the mirror, it makes sense. <laughs> Holy to the Lord. I just love that. And, uh, uh, and how important is that for God saying, clothe yourselves with all these things, mm-hmm. but you are holy. You're set apart. You're my special child. Like there's not another child in the neighborhood who can come before me and just walk into my office or interrupt me or call me. Like I changed a tire for my daughter. It took my whole, it took, a chunk of my morning, but of course I would do this because mm-hmm. on her forehead is an invisible signet that says Barkat, mm-hmm. that she's my daughter. She's right. holy to me. Love that. But the most exciting thing is at the end 
of... Uh, 39. Yeah. I'll give you the pleasure. Oh, okay. So what's really cool is, as we're reading this, it there's a similarity between the structure of the building of things and the structure of creation. Right. And so at the very end, where everything's built and created, we get this at the very end of 39... Um, at verse 42, according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. And Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it. As the Lord had commanded, so they had done it. Then Moses blessed them. That's a great connection. I hadn't even thought of that. At the seventh day, God saw all that he made. Mm-hmm. said, this is very good. Right. And he blessed it, and he rested. And so you do get, now God's no longer dealing with He's like, okay, you're all covered in sin, but now I'm setting up, I'm finding a way, I'm so committed, I'm finding a way to meet with you. He gives it to Moses, and now Moses gets to be the voice of God to them. Mm-hmm. And he sees their work, it's very good, yeah. and he blesses them. I was thinking it's a rare story for the people of God of obedience and blessing. <laughs> yes, they, you know? they and, did the thing that God told them to do, and... And it took the spirit of God in these craftsmen people yeah, and doing it. Like it took, and think about though how we got to it. I mean, the, the directions were given, the people built a calf. Like it's a long story, man. Like, so for Moses, it's a year later. Yeah. This is a year later and they did it. They mm-hmm. built it and it's very good and they're blessed. And, uh, and then the next chapter says, the Lord spoke to Moses. I, I read a note about, um, one year later, or I read somewhere, I can't remember where now, this is like the 33rd conversation initiated by the Lord to Moses. Mm-hmm. So in the last, let's say two, three years, the Lord has spoken to Moses, at least what he's recorded, what Moses has written down, at a minimum 33 times. It's right. kind of amazing. So the Lord spoke to Moses and uh, gets into the setting up, the setting it up of now, the tabernacle. Now put it all together. You have all the pieces. Let's put yeah. it up. Let's erect it. And then again, the cool thing is the order of the structure. As they set up, they go from most holy and out. Yeah. You start on the inside, out. It, ma- it does make me think of Jesus. Yeah. What comes from inside, it's like it, it originates in the middle of your heart your mind and body yeah. it's like the faith that god gives and then it works its way out mm-hmm. very cool but the most exciting part and it's and it's like shocking right i'm in i'm in we're in chapter 40 and at least in my bible i turn the page i get to this last couple of verses which are exciting the glory of the lord and i'm kind of excited to see what's next and then the book's over right but but we can't skip over the glory of the lord a cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So they built it and now God shows up. And the way God shows up to us is cloud cover during day and fire at night. Mm-hmm. But he fills it up. Am I right? Yes. Like so much cloud yeah. or smoke or whatever and that Moses can't even go in. Yeah, even Moses can't go into it. Right. Like God is, is so pleased. He's like, I'm going to fill this thing and settle here. Yeah. And I'm going to settle in a way that you should now understand that the cloud you. is over. Because remember when the cloud was over the tent of meeting, everybody worshiped at their own mm-hmm. tent until Moses came out. Mm-hmm. Now he's he's ordaining and setting apart this temple. This is absolutely the place where I'm going to be. And uh, so there's anointing, there's washing, washing, there's offering that's going to happen here. And I am I am here. Uh, I did want to point out that they 
before he settles in, they anoint everything yeah, with yeah, holy yeah. oil, I know. which is really cool because that's something that Adam and I have done with like our church and then with our homes and homes of people in our churches to set them apart to God. We've gone through and prayed through them and anointed them with oil. And it's pretty freeing. Again, we don't do those things because salvation depends yeah. on it or God says you must, but it is a fun process to go through and recognize, I want my house. I want my bedroom, I want my things to be a place where the presence of God can dwell in me and with me, and I'm setting it yeah. apart, giving it to the Lord. It's a good exercise. Yeah, at least identifying, like, these things belong to God. Yeah, and it starts to open up your mind a little differently to receive the things of God in these places that are sacred mm-hmm. to your family, to your life. And, and it's, so it's kind of fun. It's an empowering for, uh, for those of us now under the reign and rule of Christ, mm-hmm. that we can mark things out as very good and as a place where the Lord will meet with us. So that was exciting. They don't leave, so they know it's time to leave and move from a place when this cloud moves. Yes. So as long as the cloud is there, God is there, we're in the right place, but as we know, we'll learn, uh, probably not in Leviticus, but they'll have to move yeah, definitely God. in the, the next books after Leviticus, they'll be moving and following God, which yeah. is pretty cool. Well, let's get to Leviticus. Let's get to Leviticus. I recognize for yes. most of my adult life, Leviticus is the butt of a joke. Do you know what joke that is? No. It's not really like a joke, haha, but it's, it's where everybody stops reading. Mm-hmm. When they read through the Bible, they, mm-hmm. they can barely make it through, and not they, us, me, but Leviticus is always the book where people give up because it's too tedious, it's too boring. And I thought, I connected it for the first time. Oh, you know why it's boring? Because it's all about the priestly office. Yeah. And no one likes priests, no one likes pastors who are speaking. (laughs) They're boring. It's the boring book of the Bible, and it's like we have to push through it. But I thought that relationship to pastors and to priests hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. But then I realized also why. Because priests and pastors, we're dealing with the sin of people, yeah. with sinners, and we're taking their sin before God. Now, I know since Christ, we all can go before God, but still, the words of a pastor are to, to bring death to, sin. to the sin in our lives so that we can receive resurrection and walk mm-hmm. into the newness. And so the nature of pastoral ministry is one of bloodletting, mm-hmm. killing your path, yeah. Killing the people you love, knowing that this will give them actual life, and it's very hard. And it's a, it just kind of put a somber reality to the work of ministry. And there's a reason that uh, culturally we kind of like don't, aren't super excited about waking up on a Sunday morning to go hear the pastor. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? I've never connected that. Um, yes. So, let's get into it. Yeah, so... First, this is, I don't know, there's like, I, there's so much I want to say about this. Let's just break down okay. the first three things. So we're setting up the priestly office. Here's yeah. how you're going to inter, uh, interact with the God of the universe mm-hmm. in this. We've already set up a special place. So God has clothed these people, the Levites, and they have a special role. Now I'm going to tell you how to go about it. First thing is burnt offering. So the themes are, Cleansing, atonement, rest, mm-hmm. and redemption. Right. So cleansing, atonement, rest, and redemption. If you can get those four words, 
in your mind as you read this, I think it'll be profitable. And it won't be boring. It's actually pretty exciting. Yes. Um, the first one is burnt offerings. And this is for the purpose of atonement. Yeah, for sin. And so you take the first... And this one's very specific about um, the first male mm-hmm. of the flock. Right. Right? So like the so like in a tribe or something, this represents the old... like the leader of flocks, the leader of people. This is how I read it this time. Yes, it, it's the leader. And then also, I, I never thought about it this way, but it's also the male is not as like necessary for the flock. Right. Because you only need one male uh, right. in a flock to keep the flock going. To reproduce. Yeah. But you, women are highly valued. Like yeah. the female animals are, are high- way more highly yeah, valued. Yeah, they're actually more highly valued. And so it's almost even like a grace. But... We also know that for since this is for the atonement of sin, it's also representing Jesus. Yeah, the firstborn. The, the firstborn. The, the firstborn son. So you take the firstborn without blemish, yeah. and this is going to atone for the sins. And so, and this is just something that would happen for the flock. Like this was like a an offering that you had to give, like when there was a new newborn, like the firstborn of these animals would be then offered up. Yeah. As the atonement of your sin. And so um, you lay hands on it. And here's kind of the rhythm of it. Lay hands. You make atonement. You throw the blood against the side of the altar. Yeah. Like, I never... I always forget that it's not the priests that kill it. Who kills it? The person who brings it. Whoa. The head of the household lays his hand... I wasn't hand, even looking at that. Yeah. He lays You're his right. hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Oh, that's... Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priest, shall bring the blood. And throw the blood. So it's transferring your own sin to the firstborn of your flock. flock. And you kill it. You kill it. And then... Uh, and and then, I will, Yeah. Then and then the, the priests priest take over, and yes. they handle the blood that is on your hands. Yes. And they, they will make atonement for it according to the Lord's plan, which is throw it on this altar and this mm-hmm. is the mercy seat is this the ark they're throwing it on or the altar of they're actually throwing it on no they're throwing it on the uh, bronze altar in, that's in the right. outer court okay um because the one on the mercy seat that's offered like for the whole nation that's at certain times. that's for the high priest and maybe the day of atonement mm-hmm. I don't know. we'll learn yes. we'll learn and then then the priests take the blood and then they flay the meat cut it into pieces Mm-hmm. Then they uh, make a fire. They arrange it. They they have a special way of arranging the wood and the fire and the way the animals get arranged on the altar. Yeah, it's very specific. And I was re- I was remembering too, like the um, there's proof for the groups of people living at that time. Other group besides Israel. Yeah, they would offer up like donkeys or dogs, dogs mm-hmm. and things like that. And it's interesting that God's like I. There's a representation. A mm-hmm. dog is like an isolated animal. You know, maybe it's in a little pack or something, mm-hmm. but the flock, it's very important that this represents tribes and families, yeah. and there's meaning to taking one from a flock. Or a herd, yeah. Or so, a herd, yeah. yeah it's yeah, a yeah. bull, a sheep, or a goat, a bird, or some form of grain offering. And then God gets very specific. He says, look, you aren't going to... Um, the fat and the blood must be... Dispose, like you're yeah. not going to you burn that that's for yeah, me that's for me because again the pagan religions um and even up to times like in ancient greece you would douse yourself in the blood of a bull mm-hmm. or something because that's the power and the mm-hmm. life force of an animal you want for you now yeah. your force and so the pagan religions are entreating gods to manipulate them and get them to give them rain to give them something 
and God's setting up a system of cleansing, atonement, rest, redemption, mm-hmm. you're not going to be using this system to manipulate me, um, but to be with me Yes, in fellowship, which yes. I should say too, the whole thing, it's distracting for us, but killing and preparing and eating and all that is all one movement yeah. to the ancient person. Like, it's not as gross or like we don't kill our animals now, but they would. Like if you have a big meal or you're having a festival or a party or something, part of the party would be people showing up, you're killing, you're disemboweling, you're throwing away yeah. other things, you're preparing the fire. You're, and then like five hours later, you're sitting down to a huge feast mm-hmm. and you're experiencing fellowship and rest. Mm-hmm. And so part of the sacrificial system is meal prep yeah, and celebration prep. Yeah, and the stuff you're burning, the idea was the stuff that they would burn to God, that was like his portion of the meal. Yeah. Well, he eats first. Yeah, and that's what it is. It's like, so the fat and the blood, all that stuff, all the, the liver and the kidneys, the organs, that stuff gets burnt up. It is interesting. It says they wash the feet and the entrails, and that's to cleanse it of any like fecal matter or yeah. dirt or stuff like impurities. Um, and then... But that gets all burnt, and then the family then eats what's left. And uh, I was thinking, we, I think we said this last time, but all the other religions, too, would use the kidneys or the liver to yeah. tell the future. Yes. And so God's like, get rid of all that. Mm-hmm. You don't need to tell the future. You don't need it because you're with the God of the universe. Yes, you're with me. And so, um, and then it's when it says it's an aroma, it's acceptable to God. It's that God is accepting it. He is showing his favor. Mm-hmm. He's receiving the invitation to have a meal with you. Yeah. With joy. Mm-hmm. And that means not manipulation, but forgiveness. So that's what all, they all kind of have that aspect to them. So the burnt offering is straight up atonement. Mm-hmm. But then we get into the grain offering, um, where it turns more to a, uh, the word Eucharist is like thank, a meal of Thanksgiving. Some people call the Lord's Supper mm-hmm. Eucharist, you know, and we can't, we're free to call it that. And, um, and that's even originates here where there's a grain offering. And it's the first, the idea is it's, it's following the harvest seasons. Mm -hmm. And so it's like the first fruits, it's the first gatherings and you're going and you're giving thanks to God. And this is what the grain offerings were, was like a thankful offering. Like, thank you for allowing this to grow. Thank you for supplying us with this. Here's the freshest like the first harvested grains. It's a Thanksgiving. We're giving it to you. Yeah. And it's saying, thank you. And you get to eat it. After it's being offered, you get to sit, uh, have a sacred meal at a sacred table. And again, it's like there's a, all of this stuff leads to, it always ends with rest and celebration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then this was a way that the, uh, the priests and the Levites were provided for. So there was a portion that would be burned to God. And there was a portion that would be provided to the priests and their families. So think about it. We bring the first of our flock. Mm-hmm. You're recognized. So the whole thing is to recognize, like if I brought my family, or like our little church, mm-hmm. we do it as a church, it's confession mm-hmm. and it's faith. It's repentance and faith, right? So like we confess, we've sinned, we transfer those sins to our, our bull or our mm-hmm. whatever, we then cut its throat, and then the priests handle that for us. Right. As in-between mediators between us and God, we then watch the priest do the things God has told them to do, and then we get to either have a meal mm-hmm. and celebrate the forgiveness with God, with our, with our people, and the priests get paid, essentially. They get to eat, mm-hmm. and it's been accepted, and so that's where the rest and the redemption, and the redemption allows us to rest. And so um, 
that's where we're most safe. Yeah. And so the future doesn't matter. We don't need to go, please let it rain. I mean, we, we're just with God and he will take care of us and he can. And then you get the peace offering, which is the, the only difference I saw here was you could sacrifice a male or a female. Yeah, well, hold on. I wanted to... Oh, sorry. There's some more stuff on the grain offering. Yeah, that are Just some cool elements that get, I think, referenced throughout the Bible. And it's kind of a, just a good to have it in mind that the grain offerings, they don't contain leaven or any yes. honey or slash like fruit juices to like sweeten it. And that's like, again, leaven is always compared to sin. So there's no yeah. sin. So it's like the same with like a, with the sheep and the animals. They're are to be without blemish. And so with the grain offerings, they're to be without leaven. And then they are to have oil and salt. Interesting. Are, and so the oil, like on a practical level, is the what allows it to burn. And then it also is representing the anointing, the setting apart. Holy Spirit, baby. Of the offering. And then the salt is the preservation of God's covenant with his people. If you lose your saltiness, what good are you? Yeah, so it's like the the sprinkling of like eternalness. Like the this is an eternal covenant. This is an eternal agreement between you and God. But then I was thinking on a practical level too, it keeps the bread from being putrid or yeah, like, it, it like keeps the, it from going all bad. the juices and the mm-hmm. things you put on it. It's like this is a there's always a practical purpose yeah. and then a spiritual mm-hmm. like it because it's all tied. Like it helps us understand yeah, things. Like. Yeah. Because like the honey and all that stuff, if it's in that and the leaven's in that, it goes bad after a while. Yeah, so it's but not But if, like... if there's no leaven and there's salt in it, the priests and everything, they can hang on to it for a while and they can feed their families off of it for a while. And don't get caught up like the world does of trying to differentiate between spiritual and physical. Like yeah, one's there's real, no differentiation one's not. between this. God made us physical and, and spiritual. spiritual. Yeah. And so the way he interacts with us is through burning bushes, mm-hmm. bread, in a very physical, practical way, and it all carries immense spiritual, emotional realities. It's pretty cool. So now the peace we offering. Get to okay. the peace offering. Tell me about the peace offering, Matt. So the peace offering. At first, it's kind of confusing because you're like, "Why is this any different from the atonement offering?" It's like, "Oh, here goes the pastor again. Another boring story." Right. And so, the peace offering was during their special festivals. They would have okay. um, at least three festivals. Uh, throughout the year, and it was within the rhythms of harvest and gathering, like planting, gathering, and then um, the uh, uh, Passover. Um, and so they would have special offerings They would during those festivals, and during those festivals, they could offer a male or a female, and it didn't, the gender was not, didn't matter. Right. It was just a... It's not bring, so representative. Bring an offering... Again, it has to be without blemish, but bring whatever you want, whatever you feel called to bring, bring it forward. And so it's more of a, this is like a, a joyous. A celebration. Yes. Remembering what God has done mm-hmm. and that he's with us and for us. I also just come back to the idea of um, he receives us and he forgives us and he feeds us. That's how I'm kind of seeing the, like yeah. God has found a way to receive us and be with us. And that has to come through forgiveness. And then he feeds, he sits with us and has table fellowship. Yeah. So like he eats first and then we, and we Mm -hmm. eat with him. Pretty great. I have some other thoughts, but it's going to, it'll come back up in our Mark reading. It has to to do with the priests and a (laughs) sacrifice. Yes. Oh, All right. So that was our Old Testament reading for today. 
I would say uh, the, one of the main ideas for me is that God has found a way to be with us intimately, not just kind of um, not fakey. You know, it's not like inauthentic. It's like, I really want to be with you guys and, and I'm going to walk with you and through it all. It's really cool. Yeah. So I was reading, I'm reading some stuff uh, kind of to help with this. But um, the one of the things I was reading was uh, like to remember, like when we're reading the law and we're reading how God interacted with the earth, like Israel, um, not to look at the Torah as like, oh, they had to complete that to be saved. Right. It was, no, God saved them so then they can live like this in communion with God. Right. We're saved so that we can commune with God. That's so yeah. brilliant instead of like, oh, we have to go meet with God and then we know we're saved. saved. Yeah. The highest value is not just being saved. It's living in the presence of God, of God yeah. the way we were created God to saved live. them. He set them apart. He saved them from Egypt in a very real way. Spiritual, physical, heaven yeah. and earth. The veil has been lifted, man. Yeah. So, all right, cool. All right, our New Testament reading oh. for today is Mark chapter 9, verse 2 through verse 50. All right, so it's beautifully timed. We never know if... Oh, shoot, and then I, I left out. We 10. actually go through 10, yeah. uh, verse 12. I always wonder, we did this reading program last year, if the, um, the people who organized it are just brilliant theologians, or is it luck? Or is it just the Bible is so amazing that it doesn't matter? The, the, the themes, arrangement doesn't matter. The themes, there's only a handful of themes yeah. that are so beautifully interwoven that it doesn't matter how you arrange it. The Lord is just good. I'll take the third one. But I know the people who arranged it were thoughtful and a little bit brilliant. Um, yeah. So we, we, it's a win-win. But we come out of the glory of the Lord filling the temple and the setting up of priests, and we go to... The transfiguration. You know. It just helps make sense of the transfiguration. It's like an incredible, it's like the Rosetta Stone, you know, it mm-hmm. gave the code to understand hieroglyphics. The, the Old Testament just helps us understand what Jesus mm-hmm. is doing. And the transfiguration is a perfect example. So they go, uh, Jesus decides, and we did this in Matthew, but he invites Peter, John, and James to go with him up to a mountain, mm-hmm. the Mount of Transfiguration. Everything happens on a mountain. And he starts talking to Elijah and uh, Moses, yeah. the lawgiver and the prophet. Right. And here's what unlocks it for us. You're probably thinking, how does the Old Testament unlock this? Well, we just read about the cloud descending on the tabernacle, descending on the tabernacle, filling it, mm-hmm. knowing that the presence of God is there. So we see Jesus go to this mountain, and a cloud descends on Jesus. Yeah. The cloud. God yes. Himself hovers over the new tabernacle, the new temple. (laughs) And that's why Jesus even says, like, I'll raise this temple up again. This is where the presence of God dwells. Mm -hmm. This is what you should look to when to move Mm -hmm. or when to stay. This is what will keep you warm at night and guide you at night and give you light. And this is what will protect you from the sun during the day. I am the bread of light. Like, And he's revealing, actually God reveals Jesus' divine nature here. Mm -hmm. It's not even a miracle or anything. Like God says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased, listen to him. Yes. Like he is, the glory of God descends on him. And then you see Jesus shining Mm -hmm. like Moses' face. Mm -hmm. When Moses deals with God, he shines. So Peter, John, and James are going, oh man, look at him shining. We need to set up some tabernacles. See, like I always used to get impressed with, well, yeah, I'll let you do that one because that's really good. (laughs) You brought that up earlier. I was always impressed, though, with like, man, these guys saw Elijah and Moses. They finally got in the promised land, and they, 
But it's like, really, it feels like that has nothing to do with it. It has a little bit to do with it. But they probably, of all people throughout history, understand the reality of God's presence Mm -hmm. and the reality of promised land and the need for... Like, I don't know. Like, they're probably talking about resurrection. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there is this idea, like, within, like, Elijah, that he has a body, and within Hebrew tradition, it's not necessarily in the Bible, our canonized Bible, but within the Hebrew tradition, uh, God fought over the body of Moses and brought it into heaven. Is that mentioned in Jude? It is mentioned in Jude, but it's referencing the last will and testament of Moses, um, which is not in here, and... But so there is this like cool idea that they are probably in physical bodies talking to Jesus, reassuring of him like there's life after death, like here are our bodies, and and it's just like a it is kind of like a really sweet moment for Jesus. But then of course, other people, broken people, are watching this, not sure how to respond correctly to what they're seeing. You know, and Peter always gets a bad rap. I think Peter's awesome. Yeah, and everything he does is what everybody's thinking anyway. So like his instinct to build three tents there is absolutely um, reasonable. Right. I mean, again, it's like, oh, this is it. This is the kingdom. Like this is... The glory of God is here. The temple is Jesus. Should we build little tents? We should build little tabernacles. That can be movable and follow Jesus through the desert. With Elijah and Moses. Right. Elijah, they always said Elijah would come first, so... (laughs) Here he is, and here's Moses, and... And here's Jesus, the new tabernacle. This is all the proof that we need. I mean, imagine, they have a real temple, and they're like, the cloud is not over the temple in Jerusalem, it's over Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, building a tent and saying, let's camp out here, and then let's do this right, Mm -hmm. you know, is not... And they don't have the New Testament, so they're they're going on the the Torah, they're going on the Old Testament, and they know how God works. Yeah. And so Peter shouldn't be, like, looked at or used as an example of foolishness here. It's him going, here's what I know. He's, yeah, he's just interpreting the best he, he can. And then, so, but Jesus lovingly corrects him and, uh, and says, no, we can't do, we can't do that. Um, yeah, so, like, the, when the cloud goes up, it's again, the, everything's back to normal. Jesus looks normal. Elijah and Moses are gone. And then it's like... <laughs> Hey, who's Elijah? Mm-hmm, like yeah. they get caught up on like, let's ask, what's the deal with Elijah? And then Jesus says, "Look, they killed Elijah and all the prophets. They're gonna kill me too." Yeah. <laughs> so like, don't don't worry about it. That's that's <laughs> tough. And then, um, so are we good with that one? We move I think on. So yeah. this is one of my favorite passages, mm-hmm. and I think it's only in Mark. No, it was in not the Transfiguration. This next one. Yeah, it was in Matthew. We talked about it. But not the uh, the line, I... It, oh, yeah, probably not. I don't... Uh, help my unbelief. Yes. I believe, help my, help my unbelief. I love that line. Mark records it, and I think I understand why. But first, here's the story. Um, Jesus comes out. Of course, they saw a great crowd around them, and the scribes are arguing with them, and, and then um, he asked them, what are you guys arguing about? And somebody says, look, I brought my son who has this spirit tormenting him and your disciples couldn't do anything mm-hmm. so again it's like another failure of the disciples right to grasp the reality and then jesus has one of his this is one of my fa- all my favorite lines are in this passage he says uh oh faithless generation how long am i to be with you how long am i to bear with you bring him to me <laughs> now that's become almost a comical line for me because when people question me or you know challenge me i'm like 
Oh, you of little faith. How long have I been with you? I know the directions to this place, even though it seems like I'm lost. Oh, you of little faith. But he has to say this to his disciples. And the boy fell on the ground. He's foaming at the mouth. And um, and Jesus just asks some questions. Yeah, he like shows some personal interest in like what's his story? How yeah. long has this been around? Like He doesn't always do this, but he starts asking. Like well, He inquires. It's funny that Mark, who's so interested in speeding the story along, has time to slows down here because the other guys don't show Jesus questioning. Then mm-hmm. it tells us something about healing ministry or praying for people yeah. or caring for people. We ask questions: How long has this been going on? What's been going on? You know, mm-hmm. it's loving and kind. And then, um, and then he gives a description, and the guy says, "You know, if you can, if mm-hmm. you can do this, would you please do it?" Mm-hmm. And you see Jesus kind of going, I, "I don't know what to make of this." He says, "If I can, if I can." All things are possible for the one who believes. But it does expose something. Like for me, it exposes, Jesus, if, if you can. Yes. Like, like, or we ask for things, but we don't even know if you can. Like we hedge our bets. Yeah. Like something's hurting on my body. If, if I, I'm asking. If you have time. Yeah. You know, I don't want to bother you with this, but can you heal? And, but our hearts are really kind of saying, if you, I don't know if you can or if you will, or it's silly and I don't expect it to. And but I don't Jesus, want to be disappointed. Right. So let me hedge my bet. Yeah. I'm just going to say it, but you don't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. And Jesus straight up says, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Do you believe that, Matt? Yes. I, <laughs> yes. I, I do. Believe. I Help do. Be- I do believe it. But I totally identify with the man who then says, he cried out, I believe. Help my unbelief. And I think that's an, a, an encouraging verse for us. Yeah. I think um, in some versions, it it says that the father was actually with tears like he was crying oh no he's soft like he was crying at this and that's the place to be i think Mm -hmm. for all of us is like i pray for things and this has been a verse for me that comes up at certain the holy spirit brings it back because i recognize although i believe i'm struggling with unbelief Mm -hmm. and jesus doesn't see that as the crippling problem he doesn't see that as a problem that can't be overcome Mm -hmm. he just said all things are possible and so when we are being honest, and we say, I, I believe, but help my unbelief. I mean, yeah. in this story, Jesus didn't say, well, when you get that figured out, maybe I'll come back and do something for you. Yeah. He says immediately, he cry, He commands the spirit to come out and never enter him again. Yes. Like, okay, so there's some really cool things about like uh, deliverance ministry in this oh, man. that I, I literally spaced out while Adam was talking because yeah. some things were connecting. That's great. Um, <laughs> That's okay. And, I saw that I believe, help my unbelief face from you. <laughs> I was like, "What?" Uh, no, I uh, I was thinking about because he he calls the spirit a mute and a deaf spirit, and unlike all the other unclean spirits he's dealt with, all the other unclean spirits are quick to speak, and they're mm. quick to identify. But this one does not speak, it, and he calls it a a deaf spirit. And so I wonder too if it it was choosing not to hear the words of the disciples and the commands of the disciples. And so this this one has a little more power and yet has to be handled a little differently because it's deaf and it's mute. And but through the words of Christ, it hears Jesus and then it cries out as it leaves the boy. And so Jesus exercises his total dominion over this mute and deaf spirit by making it hear him. And then it it speaks. It cries as it leaves. Crazy. Well, I never connected that he was mute. 
I always was dealing with, well, it sounds like he just has seizures. He goes rigid, he foams uh-huh. at the mouth, grinds his teeth, it throws him into the fire, he falls. Yeah, I've only ever connected it to the symptoms that the boy was having, but I never thought yeah. of the spirit as being a mute and a deaf spirit. But it makes him mute. Yeah, I like that, Matt. Yeah. And so the disciples are trying to just... Mimic. Treat, treat it as every other spirit they've run into. Yeah, because their arsenal is pretty limited at this mm-hmm. point, and they're still trying to believe. They also mm-hmm. have issues of unbelief. And so, um, but you're right. That's Anyway, I love that Jesus commands it. Yeah. And even if it is, you know, people are like, well, it's just, he's just a seizure. Yeah. Well, uh, you know what's pretty amazing? Commanding uh, epilepsy to leave, and it leaves. Yeah. I, I haven't met many I people. I mean, the fact that he says, come out of him and never enter him again, because the... I, this idea is that it sounds like the boy would have spells of this. Like yeah. he didn't, he wasn't like this all the time. It would right. just happen every now and then. Which is kind of like epilepsy. It creeps mm-hmm. like all of a sudden yeah. you have, but I don't know. Fascinating. But, no, but it doesn't matter to me. It's like the yeah. old, it's like the old red sea. I remember hearing people say like, well, the red sea is only ankle deep. So this story must be wrong. And then my, my teenage mind was like, that's even more amazing. He killed the old Egyptian army in ankle-deep water. <laughs> so like, the one who has faith has faith, you know? It's like we look at things through faith. Yeah. But then the line at the end is um, the disciples ask a really honest question. Like, I feel like I've asked this question because yeah. we've seen God do some great things. And then other times it's just like this, like, why, Lord, why? And why couldn't we do this? And mm-hmm. Jesus says, uh, this one cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Mm-hmm. Like, Sometimes it's just prayer and fasting. It's prayer and and you gotta listen and you gotta be wait. wait and be tenacious and the Lord has plans and but he doesn't say you guys aren't good at this, so don't ask for healing anymore. Right. Which is all of our natural inc- like, well, I tried to the pray for healing we once. Hit a wall. I, I had a headache, I prayed that it'd go away, it's still here. I guess we just gotta live with it. Mm-hmm. Whereas Jesus is never saying, Well, give up. You didn't mm-hmm. you're faithless. He, at the same time, Jesus said, you're faithless, faithless, it's hard to say, faithless. He, at the same time, he goes, you're faithless, but yes. you can do this by prayer. Yes. He never said we're powerless. Right. No. Yeah. I, I ministers to That's me. That's great. And then Jesus does the classic, like right <laughs> on the moment of everyone's like, victory. Holy cow. We just saw his divine nature. He just cast out a, a, a new spirit that we couldn't cast out. And then he's like, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm going to die. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, the high priests, and everybody is going to kill me. But after three days, I'll rise again. And you said holy cow, which I thought was funny and ironic. Speaking of holy cows, we just talked about Leviticus and the whole process of a sacrifice. Yes. And what hit me as reading this is who offers up the sacrifice? The priests and the Levites. The Levites, the priests. And so Jesus actually is going to be offered up by the high priests. Yep. Like they're they're going to fulfill the greatest sacrifice. Now, we try to figure out, so are they not in trouble for that? Or what? Stop. That's the mind of God. Yeah. They're absolutely enemies of Christ. But God can take what you meant for harm and turn it for good. And so in the ultimate twist of you trying to silence Christ... You're fulfilling your role of as high priest in offering the one final sacrifice. And God makes sure it's a final sacrifice. The firstborn lamb of the flock. And what happened? Without blemish. And then think about this. They offered up Christ. And how long was it until all sacrificial system actually stopped? Uh, 70 years, maybe? No, one like generation 40. later. 
One generation later, the, the priests in Israel no longer are able to offer up any sacrifices. Yeah. They tried, later. but God tore the curtain, and then the Romans shut it all down, and they haven't done it since. Maybe it's because the one perfect sacrifice was already offered now yeah. when they turned over Jesus Christ to be killed. Amazing. Okay. All right, and then, of course, so now... It's funny, because any time Jesus mentions his death and resurrection, they... Uh, it's said they don't understand what he's saying, and they were afraid to ask him. And so then they start handling questions that they do understand. Well, last time, <laughs> Peter rebuked him, and yeah. Jesus said, get behind me. Yeah, so they know not to do that. This time, <laughs> there must have been arguments. It says they were arguing over who is the greatest. Yeah. And that never makes sense to us. We're always like, why would they do that? Because we know the whole story, right? right? But think about it. I'm, I, this is my own sanctified imagination. I think Peter, James, and John... Yeah. We're oh. like, oh, he says this, but we saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration. And Elijah and Moses. Yeah, we kind of saw those guys. So what he means is, yeah. I'm going to be like me and Peter, like we're, and you know, you start thinking about like, it's, yeah. it's me and you, Matt. We're next in line and we're the greatest. And in the first ever house meeting recorded, this is like, you know, you live with roommates. It's okay, guys, it's time for a family meeting, yeah. house meeting. Someone's not doing dishes. Something's happening. Yeah. Jesus calls all the 12 together. He says, hey, uh, I, want a, I want a house meeting here. He sits them down and he says, um, I've heard the arguments and here's my response. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Okay, good meeting. <laughs> Wait, so am I going to be the, What? And, uh, and then Jesus took a child and said, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Mm -hmm. This is my thing about, like, if you're nice to my kids, you're, yeah. I like you. Yeah. And, uh, and so Jesus is trying to show it's not about who's the greatest. The greatest in this kingdom is going to be like a child who, with wild abandon, looks for everything from the Father. And then I love... Because now John speaks up. And this is kind of the first time we've heard anything yeah. from him, with, at least within the these Gospels. And John is kind of showing his Peter-esque, like, yeah, I'm truly your follower. I'm defending you, Jesus. And Well, and he's now going like, wait, so, okay, maybe among us, maybe we're all equals, but we are different from the people outside of this circle, right? Because we saw some guy exercising some demons in your name and we told him to stop because he's not with us. Right. That, that was a good thing for us to do, right? Like, we are different. <laughs> we, we used our authority to stop a guy from healing in your name. And then again, they screwed up. Yeah. Because Jesus says, no, don't do that. If someone does a work in my name, let it go. That's, that's great. For one who is not against us is for us. And then again, he comes back to this give a cup of water to a child, like anybody, what does he say? Whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Yeah. And this would be a theme later about the ideas of uh, giving the least of these, you know? Mm -hmm. And so what I'm seeing is uh, whenever Christ refers to children and to their, their faith and things like that, he's talking about his disciples. He's yeah. talking about those of us who are Christian. Mm -hmm. Um, which, and so don't be against anyone who's talking for Christ. Which then leads us into this next one, which is always confusing, I think, when it's taken out of the context. Oh, I do want to say one last thing. Uh, when he says, uh, who's the greatest? Jesus' true answer is, we're going to look to the cross for greatness. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
That's, res- yeah. Death and res- death funny. is where you're going to find greatness. Mm-hmm. That's confusing. But yeah, now he goes into temptations. So if you're looking at this, he's talking about his disciples. He's talking about his followers. And he's like, anyone who's working in my name, like, don't stop them from trying to do things in my name. Right. And so, and he also has a child standing next to him as his object lesson. And so now he leads into this temptation passage. Yeah, which used to always confuse me. But he's like, look, if you, I'm seeing it all work together now. Mm -hmm. If you lead one of these little ones to doubt their faith, to give up the faith, it's like you're putting a millstone around. Um, it's better for you just to be drowned, mm-hmm. like by the Italian mafia. Mm-hmm. Like cement cinder- shoes. Cement shoes. And then he goes on. Okay, that's okay. All right. But then he goes on. Like Jesus is so serious here. He says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to, to enter life crippled than with two hands and go to hell. And he talks about hell as an unquenchable fire. And then he says, you know what? Cut your foot off. It's better to be lame. You know what? Pluck your eye out. It's better to have mm. one missing eye than to separate someone from their faith in me. Yeah. Like, because it's just better. And for everyone, will be salted. Oh, there's your salt yeah. connection. Salt is good, but if the salt loses saltiness, how will you make it salty again? So there's this idea of um, do not separate or cut people off from the faith. You're serving these little ones. This is how you are the greatest in my kingdom. You sacrifice your life for your children. These are my children. Mm-hmm. And what we are protecting is the name of Christ on them and in them. And we do only do things to grow and nurture and build that faith in Christ. Yeah, and I would say that he's saying that's the covenant. That's the salt in their lives is him, is the name of Christ. Mm-hmm. Is That's the, the sign and the seal on them. So we don't. Or do not cut them off from it because it's like cutting up your own body. Yeah. It's cutting up the body of Christ. Yeah. If you yeah, exactly. So you're la- you're maiming the body of Christ yeah. when you're seducing someone away from faith. Yes. Which is kind of a normal thing. Like my kids in school, they'll talk to other kids about evolution and people are happy to say, Oh, you should make up your own mind. Don't have this faith. That's mm-hmm. stupid. Mm-hmm. Instead, and quite literally, someone said to my son, I think I believe this that we came from primordial soup. And my son's like, wow, okay. That's a hopeless and sad story. And I'm like, did you say that? He's like, no, I was cool about it, Dad. I'm like, okay, good. <laughs> um, but uh, I think, too, that, that this is Mark writing down the ideas of Peter. And I think Peter, as he uh, is after Pentecost and he's starting the church, and settling down, he's telling these stories. And I think it's not an accident that he's mm-hmm. highlighting how childish they were as yeah. disciples back then. You know, when you look back in your life and you're like, man, I got married at age 23. How did I do that? How did I drive at 16? Right. I didn't have a clue two years ago. And so he's highlighting um, that we're just children. Yeah. And then he, and I think this is why the teaching of divorce comes in right after this, because he's mm-hmm. again using imagery of like, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. Like, and so he's reminding, like, this is the law. Like, the, the image of marriage is... Well, they, they ask, they go, what about Moses? About uh, What about yeah. divorce? They're trying to trick him. They are. And divorce is a tricky subject. Mm-hmm. I've had people try to trick me. They want to make a judgment. Am I a Bible-believing pastor or a liberal pastor? Mm-hmm. Well, I notice there's people who are divorced in your congregation. What do you think about divorce? And they're expecting me to go, oh, I'm so for it. <laughs> or, oh, I'm against it, and everybody's going to hell. No, it's always a much more, comp- talking about people. 
Right. And Moses, or not Moses, Jesus says, what did Moses command? Like, right. you tell me what you think about divorce. Right. And funnily, funnily, is that a word? Ironically, there you go. the people are subscribing to a work around the law from Moses. Mm-hmm. And Jesus has to say that was because their hearts were hard. And here's the reality about marriage. That uh, God has knit the Hebrew for um, what he's, when it says they shall become one flesh, is the idea for knit, like something knitted together. Yeah. So a divorce is like tearing apart flesh. It's tearing mm-hmm. off a hand. Yeah. And so my response is, man, divorce is going to hurt. It's going to be very messy, and it's not, it's not what God wants. Right. And uh, I don't want you to be cut off from the people. I don't want you to be cut off from each other. I don't want you to be cut apart. But the good news in it, because I know we have divorced people, yeah. the good news is Christ forgives you, mm-hmm. and he can restore you. So we don't run into and try to make justifications for, um, or if you're planning to get divorced, you try not to plan to do this mm-hmm. because it's going to be, it's going to hurt and it cuts off and there's no excuse for it. But um, Christ forgives us and he restores us. And so uh, we don't have to justify it by hardening our hearts. We can just go in confession and repentance um, because Jesus knows life is complicated and difficult, but... Um, and he ultimately is going to be cut off. And he is the, from he and the father, he's ripped apart from the father mm-hmm. for us. So, Woo. there we go. I thought today was going to be a short one, but. Nah. Nah, nah. There's too much good stuff in that, in that, in that, in that great New Testament. All right. So that was our New Testament reading. We're moving now to our Psalms. Uh, Psalm 26 is really good, but I. I Psalm 27 is one of my favorite psalms, and wow. it's one of the psalms that I identify with the most strongly. And let's do it. And so that's the one I'm going to read. <laughs> the Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Boom. You've just been fed by ravens. Go in peace and serve the Lord. We'll see you next time.